From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Yes, Suckatash Chats, the original comedy soundcast featuring interviews from comedy... Soundcast. Soundcasters, comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folks. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy soundcast soundcaster, Mark Hershaw. Hey, look, or listen, rather, it's me, Mark Hershon, your host and carpet remnant for Epi 155 of Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast. I had a delightful bunch of soundcast clips lined up, but then got the chance to chat with one of my more popular soundcast contemporaries, and I decided to go with that, another Succotash Chats installment, and hold the clips until next time. If you hear any weird, errant sounds, I am in Studio F, my Fiat 500, but I'm parked outside my office during a regular workday, and uh, it's so hot here in San Francisco that I have the windows partially down, so it's not exactly an airtight studio, so you might hear conversation, cars, who knows what, so please excuse that if you will. Our special guest this episode is Matt Besser host of the Improv for Human soundcast and one of the founding members of the Upright Citizens Brigade, which has become one of the guiding lights for improvisational comedy in the United States. I wanted to talk with Matt because of a special improvised narrative trilogy that he's been doing recently amongst the regular Improv for Humans episodes, a story called The Mopes. Along the way, we talked about how he first got up to speed on doing improv in Chicago, what it's like to hold down, quote, normal, unquote, jobs before getting in the business of show, and some future improv-based plans for television that he hopes will come about. Bookending our conversation, we feature a double shot of our Burst O'Durst with political comedian and social commentator Will Durst. In this episode of Succotash is brought to you by our friends at Henderson's Pants. Before we move further into show mode, a couple of weeks ago we kicked off our very own Patreon page in an attempt to make it easy for you to help support this show. So far, though, not a single person has signed up. I can't really tell if the damn thing is working, so do me a favor. Head over to patreon.com slash and just drop me a note if it even shows up on your computer. And hey, if you want to sign up while you're there, I won't stop you. Also, in case you haven't heard, you can listen to us now on iHeartRadio, on YouTube, and even on the Succotash Show page on Facebook. It's actually harder not to listen to us now, really. All right, time for comedy to begin. The first burst of Durst has Will addressing those he refers to as the, quote, noble rustics, unquote. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words for all you real Americans who chose a New York City real estate developer as our 45th president because of your disdain for people who have done this sort of thing before. Speaking for all us commie, pinko, yellow rat bastards, let me apologize for all the names you were called by members of the liberal media. You know, like foolish, naive, superstitious, stubborn, and deluded, bigoted, homophobic, misogynistic, obtuse, and ignorant, mentally deficient, morally bankrupt, and unable to discern fact from fantasy. You remember. Well, turns out, you noble rustics were right, and we fancy pants intellectuals were wrong. Things are great now. He's made so many friends and gotten so much done. In less than six months, the Golden Canopy has demonstrated that foreigners are different, and different is bad. Yesterday was better than today, and all of our tomorrows should be in black and white. 
preferably white. Who needs health care? Thanks for taking a bullet for the team on that one. And yes, we do have to give rich people tax cuts because rich people need more money. Forget the Russians and North Koreans. The true enemy of the people are the hosts of morning cable news shows. We know that now. And what's a big deal about climate change anyhow? Who cares if some South Seas island does or doesn't sink, never to be seen again? Besides, those rising oceans are going to come in handy to douse the raging wildfires that will soon engulf us. Schooling is for sissies, louder is better, and deafening is best, and confusing deafening is the most best ever. And if you aren't cheating, you obviously don't want it bad enough. You professed a desire to shake things up, so one question. Shook up enough yet? It's easy to see that, as you say, he's no intellectual elite. <laughs> you got that one right. For Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, I'm Will Durst. We'll jump into my chat with Matt right after this non-important word from our sponsor. Bonjour, amigos. Bill Haywatt here to ask, just how relaxed are you? Well, not just right now, but at any time, day or night, whether you're working or just kicking it around the house. Unless you've always got either half a heat on or have been prescribed Thorazine, chances are that most of the time, you're as uptight as a nun at a bishop's beer blast. Well, we're here to help you change that state of mind, and all you have to do is slip into a pair of Henderson's Chillin' Churidars. Yes, modeled after the classic Churidar pajamas of South Asia, these comfortable pants are wide at the waist and narrow at the ankle, making them perfect leisure pants, especially if you like to stuff your face and then fall asleep promptly afterwards. And while you'd think you'd have to be sporting either a kurta if you're a man, or a kameez if you're a woman, these chillin' churidars have been specially designed by Hendersons for those with a western sense of style. So throw on your favorite t-shirt, tank top, or just go topless around the house for the ultimate in comfortable lounging. While at work, it's always casual Friday when you're sporting an airy, comfy pair of Henderson's Chillin' Churidars, even if you're required to wear a jacket and tie. Originally designed for Haji from Johnny Quest, I Dream of Genie, and the harem eunuchs of Kuala Lumpur, Henderson's Chillin' Churidars are perfect when you want to sling your sack and butt into something saggy. That's Henderson's, makers of Salwas and Farshi since 1593, and now back to Succotash. All right, without further delay, here's my conversation with Matt Besser. Along the way, I'll drop in a few snippets from the Mopes so you get some context for what's going on as part of our conversation. Matt Besser, welcome to Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast. Well, thanks for fighting the good fight for podcasts. It's what I try to do, man. Uh, and big, been a big fan of yours and Improv for Humans really since... I think first you started, I think I think my show was going a slightly before yours did, and I think we clipped your first or second episode on our show. Oh, and cool. We're about to have our 300th. I know. It's amazing. We're about to have our 155th because I'm really lazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a big fan, um, again, of, of you, your show, a number of your guests. I've actually... Uh, done improv with a lot of a lot of guys that have been on your show i've been doing it for 34 years oh cool 
you what I like and I, what I mentioned in uh, the recent review I did on Splitsider for Improv for Humans is uh, one thing I really like about you is the way you uh, are sort of the ringmaster uh, of the way improv happens in audio on your show. You know, you, you have a, a knack for knowing how to sort of cut a scene or lean a scene a certain way or throw out something that's uh, going to take your performers in a specific direction to kind of tighten things up and get to the kind of the meat of the suggestion you're getting from the audience uh, from Twitter or what have you. And uh, is that something that came naturally or is it something you sort of had to learn as, as you went with the show? Well, yeah, I, th- I think as a host of a show and a, and in particular, I guess an improv show, well, I guess any show you are the point guard of the show and, and some of these people played together, but not necessarily everybody is, uh, uh, an ensemble that's been together and play together. So you do need to have that one person that's kind of looking at the long game every time. Um, and, and yeah, I guess that's something that's come with time. When I started out, I wouldn't say I was that guy in the group per se, but uh, maybe it wasn't needed because um, I was just uh, one player in a team, whereas now I'm I'm kind of the player coach i'm kind of inviting people in to my format um so i I take more responsibility for the whole show but i think you can hear from players that have been on more than others that that they will take that they will start a scene and cut a scene more and i I really do appreciate that and welcome that when it happens yeah now your improv training comes from from where originally um, well, I started in Chicago right when the long-form improv scene was kind of burgeoning with Del Close, and we had the for- fortune of uh, being directed by him, who, in my opinion, pretty much invented long-form improvisation, or at least took it to the next level. And uh, he he both experiment taught us and experimented with us. One of the forms we came up with him was his movie form, where we would improvise a movie in a half hour, and and a big part of that form was describe, uh, you know, with words, just setting a scene and describing a scene, uh, setting up a scenario, editing that scenario, and cutting to the next one, and that that really was innovative at the time, and I've used a lot of that in my podcast, especially when we first start doing it, and you didn't have actors on stage moving around doing. Uh, object work uh, obviously because it's just an audio format it, it was a transition and I think especially the the first improv for humans are, are not as good because I I just didn't start doing that yet I d- it, it took a while to realize we really need to be more descriptive like you're almost reading a movie script when you're doing this audio only format yeah because it it you know I wouldn't say goes against what you normally sort of learn about improv, which is you just sort of let the scene unfold and you fill out the, the space and all that as you're, as you're building the scene. Uh, so it's really sort of a, to me anyway, it seems like a shorthand, which really feels very natural in an audio format. It almost, it's almost as if you're scripting an old radio show in some ways, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, especially, this this narrative uh, form that you mentioned earlier, the the mopes, uh, when we are bringing in preformed characters and and even a premise, 
it's it's definitely like a radio play and i it, it's so much that way that i i don't have i don't play I, I don't have the ability to play a main character and do the description too because it's just <laughs> too much we see, we see one of the uh, regular workers at the aquarium. Uh, uh, he's in scuba gear and he's he's escorting the whale around to the the pen where it is jerked off. Here we go! Come on, come on! Follow the fish. They hear Follow him the on the radio over the scuba gear. Follow the fish. Come on, uh, sir. We're here to. Uh, we're here to beat off that big ass right. whale. He We're comes, here to free he, Willie. <laughs> he, he comes out of the water to, to greet these new employees. <laughs> Let's talk about the Mopes. It's it's fresh in my ears. I just listened to it uh, this morning uh, when I was uh, on my usual morning hike, which is when I do most of my pod uh, podcast listening. Sure. Um, podcast and, is healthy because it, it, it gives people an excuse to exercise longer. That's what I think. Exactly. Uh, but the Mopes, where, first of all, the idea for the Mopes came out of what? Um, well, it's kind of an old premise of, uh, well, the Mopes is, it's, 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 uh, it's some twins. Uh, John Gabris and Jessica McKenna play the twins. And as uh, Gabris put it, it's the pervert and the prude best describes them. <laughs> and then Eugene Cordero plays their uh, chaperone would probably be the best way to put it. And Gene, that's Gene, right? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's called Gene in the, in the story. <laughs> and their dying father, who's a billionaire, thinks they're a bunch of mopes. And a mope is just a, a lazy slouch, uh, good for nothing. And they're spoiled, never had any real life experience. So he gives them the inheritance challenge that you have to have 50 jobs in 50 weeks and not get fired in order to get the inheritance. So the the inheritance premise is kind of an old premise, but the, the concept of mopes is something we've actually talked about on the podcast a lot. It's it even is a section, uh, you know, called "Don't Be a Mope," <laughs> where it's either a, vid- a YouTube video or uh, just a story of mine. But just uh, the latest one caused a lot of controversy on our show. It's kind of an old YouTube video, I guess, but we only played it recently of this guy going into a subway and ordering some cookies and then getting ripped off on his cookies and he has a meltdown (laughs) and me and most performers on the show sided on the side of the man having the meltdown and thought that the subway workers were mopes but then there was a lot of backlash of don't be bourgeois You forget your your working class roots, Matt Besser. Uh, uh, it's not easy to be a subway worker. So that led to discussion about you know there's 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 mopes on both sides of the counter. We decided, so, and I think that's kind of what this show explores. It's just we go into different. They do a different job every every episode. There's like five different jobs per podcast. And those come out and, of suggestions from, from Twitter or uh, I guess from Twitter so far as, as I've heard it. Yeah. The first episode, I think it was, uh, I guess it was only from Twitter and, and we just, we asked for their worst job on the second episode. We asked for people to describe, uh, jobs i just found interesting not necessarily the worst 
And in the third episode, we asked people to describe employees or customers that they've had to deal with or employees that they've had to work with, coworkers they've had to work with or bad bosses. So we got different inspirations for the jobs themselves. And even in the second episode, uh, for instance, gave us had many summers being a lifeguard in Long Island. So we, we went off that kind of experience. Um, and sometimes we played some YouTube videos of people having meltdowns at work, that kind of stuff. So we, we did find different ways to get into the jobs. Definitely. Yeah. That first, uh, the first episode, you've got that, that great rant from the guy, I guess in England, who's, uh, who got a ticket on his car in a parking lot and he's just, Oh, that's right. Calling the, uh, the parking lot attendant, a cunt and just, <laughs> The attendant, yeah. just, the attendant remains at least audibly pretty much unfazed by the guy's tirade. You give me this. Yes, I did, sir, yeah. You heard me in there going fishing. I struggled walking back through here from, to get back to the fucking car and you give me a ticket for 80 quid. Yeah. You're a cunt. You know you're a cunt? Your ticket's expired, sir. It's expired by well over an hour now. You try walking back from that cove over there. Right, I mean, we do sell all-day tickets, so you could have bought an all-day ticket. I very nearly do. £3.60 I paid. It was only, what, £5, £6 for an all-day ticket. Yes, sir, yeah. You're a cunt. OK, there's no need to get abusive, sir. You're a fucking cunt. There's no need to get abusive, sir. You're lucky I don't punch your fucking face in. Well, then you'd char- face a charge of assault, then, wouldn't you? Well, this isn't assault, is it, you cunt? <laughs> <laughs> it's, wow, this is a stare-down. The, the guy calling a cunt is leaning into the window of this meter maid. Wow, and he's much older too, by the way. The guy's calling cunt. I'll take your fucking head off, you cunt. And then face a charge of assault, sir. I've done that many times before. Holy it wouldn't bother shit. me in the least, Lying. you cunt. Ooh. Okay. Twelve tenths. You could probably see me walking back from over there, and when you put that ticket on, you cunt. On your cunt. They're doing an evil stare down. Yeah. And the parking attendant is starting to like breathe a little heavier. I, I feel you like even you heard me see. up there saying I was going to walk around there. All right, I had no idea which, which car was yours, sir. Sir. Still calm, sir. I would just roll out my window. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing a serious stare down. Yeah. It's scary. Okay, thank okay. you. He's giving him plenty of time. It's crazy. Plenty of time to what? Like to to like he's giving that the, the, the meter maid is giving that old man plenty that. of time to like just walk away. Yeah, and and he's so aggressive. The the old man is he's so aggressive. No, I haven't. I had no idea which your, was your car, sir. There's twenty odd cars in the car park. Why does it matter whose car? I've is? gone and checked, and it's got no. The ticket's expired, sir. So I've issued a charge exactly as I'm supposed to do. No leeway at all. I was just. Well, you, I was, I've given you leeway. I mean, you're, you're well over an hour late now, sir. Yeah. You, you tried walking around there? Right, okay. Well, you can appeal against it, sir. The details on how to do so on the back yeah. of the ticket. Yeah, sure. That really works, doesn't it? Look at you, fat cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Took him long enough to get to fat cunt. That was 13. Would you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to satisfy you, sir. Because I'll pick him up and I'll throw you in that cunt. Would you, sir? And then you would definitely get them for assault because I've got your vehicle details. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, and that's what that's one of those jobs uh that it's just hard. It's like telemarketers. It's 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 a tough job. It's a tough job because you just get nothing but hate from people all day long. 
So well, you, it's a good one to throw the twins into. You mentioned uh, perhaps facetiously your working class roots is brought out by one of your listeners. But uh, what what sort of working class roots do you have in terms of uh, previous employment? Well, I, I believe me, I, I don't really have working class roots, but I think we all in our twenties had to work in restaurants. I was a substitute teacher. I I've done every shitty job at a restaurant, that's for sure. But I feel like everybody does that. I've worked at Ben and Jerry's ice cream. One of the the fictional jobs we go through, I believe it's in the first episode, is the fondue restaurant. Yeah. That's in the first episode, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And we, we kind of make fun of the, the preciousness that some uh, themed restaurants have. Like in this one, it was the 15 commandments of the fondue <laughs> restaurant, I guess. But like I had a taste of that at Ben and Jerry's where they were so precious about the exact perfect way to do the Ben and Jerry's classic scoop. And I remember my boss screaming at me that I didn't know how to scoop. And in my 20s, I'm like, I went to four years to college. I don't even know how to scoop. I'm going to get fired. I got fired within a week. Uh, that's, that's all to say we've we've all had we've all had shitty jobs we've all been on both sides we've had a shitty service and been it we've been the shitty service uh so it's it's good to explore that i guess now the 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 twin mopes in in your new uh sort of series uh they uh they go to some extremes in the first episode. And I, as I remember, the goal, and you stated earlier, is that they have to do 50 jobs in 50 weeks and not get fired. It's it's sort of left hanging how they moved from some of those jobs onto the next one. <laughs> well, like at SeaWorld, they definitely, you know, Jessica's character is uptight and she wants to end SeaWorld, as all good people do. But uh, they do successfully... <laughs> Um. Uh, what's the polite way to say it on a podcast? Manipulate sperm out of the 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 orca whale. So they did complete their mission. We decided. Uh, but uh, yeah, they don't have to do it necessarily in fifty straight weeks. So they're allowed to fail and and. Uh, oh, okay. All go right. on to the next job. I guess the premise is. Um, are you in? T- I think this is a, a three, just a three episode. A trilogy. Uh, a trilogy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you done all three episodes already and they're in the can, or they're still yet to sort of be played out? Yeah, we released the second episode last week, and we recorded the third episode this week, oh. so they're all done. Um, and and I, it, it's definitely... It's the most difficult thing we do on Improv for Humans. Uh, we, we've done episodes... A regular episode, we take straight-up Twitter suggestions... The performers will think of a story. Someone will think of a story observation, and then we'll launch into a scene. Yeah. Um, on our musical episodes, we'll get a band to play a song. Then we'll ask them about the lyrics, and that'll ins- that'll inspire a scene. But it's just one scene, and then you're on to the next suggestion. Yeah. Here we're 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 creating narrative, which you may consider some individual scene stories, but you know, when you're trying to go from one scene to the next and make them connect and keep characters going, it's, it's a little different. We actually have to rehearse and I don't know how many podcasts rehearse before the podcast. But <laughs> we did, uh, cause you, you have to talk it out and say, you know, and I, to me, the, the secret of what makes Mopes good. And I think people think it is good is, is the actors themselves. Like, John Gabrus, Jessica McKenna, 
and Eugene Cordero are just so, so fast. Yeah. And, uh, I, I'm not that fast anymore. Like they, they, <laughs> they are really, they're really in, in their prime improvising. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I made characters which are essentially them or, or at least, uh, plays towards what the, what they like to play. Uh, yeah. Gabrus loves to be boorish. Uh, uh, Jessica is great at playing a know-it-all in a, a goody two-shoes. And e- Eugene is, is kind of a, a perfectionist and a, and a, and a uh, how do you describe him? Like he, he, he is a CrossFit expert. He is a, <laughs> a, a self-improving man, I guess would be a, a way to put it. Yeah. And a Renaissance and a Renaissance man. His character, uh, so seems, his, his character espouses the fact uh, that he's he's sort of had multiple life experiences. <laughs> right, he's kind of the slumdog millionaire that's yeah. has actually been there. Um, yeah, and we even get a little satirical in the second episode. Uh, uh, Eugene's from the Philippines, and and uh, you know he has a chip on his shoulder about someone assuming he's from Hawaii when they're inside working at Trader Joe's, and some kids <laughs> want him to be Maui from Moana and sing <laughs> your welcome song. And you. Okay. <laughs> Look at you. You're right. You're right. Oh my God. Go oh, honey, you're right. I never noticed him. Yes. Yes. Gonna, are you going to put a start lay taking, on me? They start taking uh, selfies with him, like the Spider Man oh on God. Hollywood Boulevard. Oh my God. And you said we would vacate Mom, this year. Mom, I want to take a it. picture with the Hawaiian man. Would you would you tie these roots around your oh, ankles? No, no, please. no, no, not, and I'm not going to bury a pig. <laughs> please, oh, look at listen. Our son loves Moana. Let him take a picture with I, you, please. Maui. Yeah, okay. Are you thank Maui? you, thank you, but no, no, no. Thank it's you, but all, no. It's all I don't the same. Not. Come on, let him take a picture with play you. Play these drums. Play these drums. John, Jess, John, Jess. What? I'm what? sorry, but I, I need to quit. <laughs> Why? I, I can't hear you with this, this fucking tribal mask on. <laughs> we see the word is starting to spread throughout the Trader Joe's to kids that Maui is in the store and doing a meet and greet. They're treating Maui's this like in the store. Maui's in the this store. is Disneyland. It's not Disneyland, and I'm not. I'm not a celebrity. I'm just. I'm just here to do my job, and they're making this like Polynesian. I just. I want to quit now. Sing well, the, the song. There the he is. Oh. Sing the song. Oh, You're welcome. <laughs> no, no. Gene, uh, Gene, listen. You you're know, not. I'm so sorry. This is happening to you, but we, we have to finish every week. Maybe just do you not know? I can print out the lyrics for you of that song. And it's a real song. There's, I some, know. there's some patter bits, so it, it's a little tricky. No, we need rehearsal that. time. I, no, no. It's 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 just an opportunity for the rock to sing, but not sing. I yeah. understand that. Hey, sing, honestly, hey, Jenny. Hey, hey, Jenny. Jenny, come over here. That song. <laughs> Sing it. They're playing it on Get the... Get your ass over here, Jenny. Back in the manager's Jenny, office. Jenny, 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 <laughs> That had us laughing so hard because you can see the real Eugene being tweaked about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it, it comes through in the character and it'd be kind of kind of a running bit into the third episode so finding that kind of stuff is definitely different than what we're doing on a usual improv for humans podcast so it's definitely more challenging and satisfying when it works yeah has it given you the idea of doing more of these sort of uh long form stories 
Um, well, this is the second time we've did it. We did a like two years ago. We did one called Fat Crackers, which had it also had Gabrus and Eugene, plus uh, Charlie Sanders and Stephanie Allen and uh, um, who else was in that? Uh, Colton Dunn. Um, Betsy Sodaro. So it was a different scenario. It was an apartment building mm. with different characters in it, but uh, it was also a trilogy, and we had and we we actually rehearsed a lot for that one. Um, but since it is such a commitment in rehearsal, I can't really ask that much out of people to to do anything, unless it's just going to become its own podcast, like the the Magic Tavern type thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it is fun to do as, as an experiment, and and every time it just gets better. Every episode, I think. Uh, when you first started doing improv for humans, did you have any sort of predestination in mind, or do you just go, "Well, oh, try this for a little while, see what happens, see if it grows, and." If I have to walk away from it because it's not happening, I'll do that. Well, I've always it, it, improper humans is essentially just an extension of the Ask Cat, which is the mm-hmm. improv show which pretty much started our theater. It's just it's just a very basic long form that we used to do after our sketch shows, and it, it became the thing that people saw and said, Hey, we want to learn how to do that. So it kind of, it was kind of the show that started our theater. It's still the show that we do on Saturdays and Sundays. It's one of our free shows. And, and, uh, and that's at the uprights citizens brigade, just to clarify for somebody. Yeah, who I should know. have said that. No yeah. worries. Um, and when Scott came to me, when podcasting was kind of new and I didn't even really know what he was talking about, he was like, you should do a podcast. And, I guess I guess we were both like it could just be like Cat on the you know for radio and yeah. like I said it was a, a little bit of a learning process to to do it and it has become its own thing in, in the meantime but I guess my original thought was let's just have fun with how many ways we can be inspired by for a scene mm. and Twitter was the first you know, obvious way to get into it and create an audience. And then the YouTube videos were also kind of obvious, but then I was reading like, uh, you know, faxes my dad sent to people, <laughs> people before he died, you know, wow. uh, just, uh, you know, or, uh, then we'd have, uh, our interns go, our hapless interns go to <laughs> man on the street interviews and <laughs> fail every time. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's fun. And then the, 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 inviting bands on became a new thing and definitely a challenge that was also a learning process of how do you go from a really sad song to uh, a funny scene like that was kind of uh it is it was a challenge at first and it's fun to get a challenge like yeah how can you go from something really sad and try to be really funny but it, it, it was a fun process and i think we've gotten good at that too uh so you're still obviously quite active in uh, in ucb um and are you're also doing some acting work? Yeah, I'm always, you know, I do the whole the whole sitcom thing. This this summer I did four episodes on a Netflix show called Haters Back Off. Oh, okay. Uh, this YouTube uh, star uh, Miranda sings. It's her show. Oh. Uh, Angela Kenzie and uh, Steve Little are on it. It's it was a lot of fun. They let me improvise a lot. It's oh, that's fun. great. That's great. How often does that happen when you're on a production and they actually say, okay, just uh, you know, do what you want to do or uh, t- let's do another take your way or something like that? It's rare they don't these days. 
Um, it's funny. I did a show right after that uh, where I didn't I didn't improvise a word because the jargon we were using was so specific you mm. really couldn't. It was like NSA kind of show. Mm. Um, but uh, most shows they'll do what they call the fun take, but then most shows also won't use most of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, I think this show will. Some shows will, and uh, some shows they're looser with the script. Um, and I, I think it depends who the show is and who the people are, but they'll know whether or not an actor are going to improvise and keep on game, as we say, like keep the game that's already there in the scene or just go elsewhere and kind of be distracting from the scene. Like that's what bad improv, I guess, will do uh, the <laughs> script. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, I have, uh, as I mentioned, I've been doing improv for a number of years. I started in Seattle uh, doing short form when um, theater sports first started sort of coming down from Canada, you know, Keith Johnstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I had moved back to San Francisco where I was from, and I was uh, sort of directing an, a house improv group at a comedy club and back in the mid-'80s. And I was sort of uh, making up a group out of, like, orphaned uh, improvisers from different groups that were falling apart. So one time I had, like, Greg Proops and Michael McShane were both in my group. And, wow. Uh, just a whole ton of people that really knew what they were doing. Uh, so it was a great education. I was, in essence, their director, but really I was learning from them because they had, they had so much experience. Um, but That's cool. It's interesting to, to sort of then turn around and be able to use those improv skills in different things. I, I use it in business a lot and I actually teach improv at the agency I work at, uh, as a way to get people sort of more facile doing pitches and doing presentations and things like that. Um, are there other things that you found improv sort of, uh, being surprising that you're able to sort of turn that skill set on and, and say, Hey, this is actually really making this easier fun or something like that. Well, yeah, I guess that's kind of what our 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 book preaches. The uh, Upright Sinsgate uh, Improv Manual is that the way we improvise is the same way we write, and we feel the way a good sitcom or a good movie is written. Like that, uh, it's called finding the game, and it's mm-hmm. like other improv, like philosophies will vary from improv theater to improv theater but that's that's definitely the center of everything we do is find out what's funny about the scene focus on that heighten and explore it yeah um and that's why in improv for humans we don't just take a suggestion a word and then start a scene right from the word which is fine that's organic improv but uh we're premise based so we like to talk about the word Mm. until we find something funny about the word, you know, until someone says either a funny story or observation, and then we'll start the scene right there. We don't beat around the bush. We take that concept that we just talked about and start the scene, and we feel that's the way a writer's room works. You don't just get a word in the writer's room and immediately everyone starts writing. You you talk about it, and you, you tell stories, and you... You kick it back and forth, and then you decide on what the best angle is, and then you start. So our our improv definitely mirrors our writing process. Is improv difficult for you to watch? 
sometimes? I mean, as an audience? Um, well, I'm a huge snob about it. So <laughs> I, I'm, if I'm watching someone from my theater, I'm kind of watching as the principal a little bit of like, one, who's good? Who should I be looking for and inviting to do ask at our, our improv for humans and otherwise what's the problem you know yeah. what's what's this what's the issue on stage and it's kind of the, the same things all the time like i'll see a really good i saw a, a herald team the other day with uh which is kind of our development league is a way to look at it mm -hmm. um with some really funny people on it but it just wasn't a great show and in a way i thought it was because they were all trying too hard they were trying so hard to be funny that they were just forcing it, and as a result of forcing it, it wasn't that funny. Yeah. And that's that's a common thing, and that's something you have to just experience and learn from and have someone tell you uh, that that's what happened, and, it, and you know, don't force it. It's yeah. just these easy things, but it's something you have to experience. And, yeah, it is hard to watch that, but... I don't watch it going, oh, this is awful. I watch it going, oh, this is this is how it goes. This is <laughs> I've seen this a hundred times, um, yeah. and hopefully I can give a note to make it better. When uh, you uh, you ask for Twitter suggestions for improv for humans, uh, I, now you probably end up getting a, a whole lot of them. So, are there any tricks that? listeners to this uh, to this conversation might think of if they're trying to get your attention with uh, a suggestion because i'm sure you've seen you know pretty much everything or certainly variations on a theme of everything uh so what captures your attention when you're sifting through all that stuff yeah i have this we we have a running joke on improper humans of don't give us a food suggestion and we have it we have a theory in the live shows of Ask Cat or just improv in general, that one out of every four suggestions is a food. <laughs> and that's because the audience is just always hungry. <laughs> um, but if you think about it, you know, how many food stories? And also you'll hear certain foods like pineapple said over and over again because it, it sounds funny, but it's like <laughs> – if you break it down, you're trying to give us a word that inspires a funny story. And unlike short form, when you're, you're, you're sort of trying, or most short form, you're trying to challenge the improviser. In long form, the way I like it, you're not trying to challenge us. You're trying to help us. Like, <laughs> right. We're not here to be defeated. <laughs> be on our team and... Let's all come up with a concept that's funny to talk about, and let's explore it. Now, do you really think we all have funny pineapple stories? <laughs> the word Just because the word pineapple is funny doesn't mean there's a funny s story everybody has about pineapples. Like, it'd be better to say, you know, kissing. Yeah. Everyone has an awkward story about <laughs> kissing or, or it'll make them think of their first love or first date. It'll, it'll launch you into territories that are more about true life experience. That's where we want to start something. Right. And uh, the example I give is uh, we have this woman do Ask Cat as a monogist every once in a while. Her name's Patty Schimmel. She was the drummer for Hole. Oh, okay. So this is... Uh, someone who has hung out with one of the most polarizing, crazy, nutty people <laughs> in modern rock. 
and you know we we introduced her at a show, and all you need to say is you know Courtney Love, touring, <laughs> drums, heroin. You know, there's so many the '90s. There's so many ways you could launch her into a story. So to go, ladies and gentlemen, this is Patty Schimmel, drummer for Hull. Pineapple. Like, really? <laughs> this woman knows Courtney Love, and you want to hear Pineapple? <laughs> Are you trying to fuck with us? Like, this is a, there's a treasure trove of crazy stories here. Why not try to inspire one of them? Yeah. Uh, so that is funny, and, and that is one of those short-form, long-form things. People are most people discover improv through whose line is it anyway, and they, they get that yeah. in audiences get that in their head of like, we're trying to Fuck trick the improviser. Yeah. We're trying to really <laughs> give him one. You won't be able to figure out. Yeah. Like people say words that are like, you know, I can't, can't even think of something, but just, they're just abstract or just big words. It's like, what? You're not trying to help us. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, I've done a lot of bar prov over the years, and you always get the proctologist and gynecologist. And just, it's like, well, yeah, you know what that scene's going to look like. <laughs> there's, there's only so many ways to twist that thing, you know? Um, so it's sort of the equivalent of that, uh, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you get improvisers trying to hit you up? on uh on social media to say hey i'm going to be in la can i play with you guys or anything like that usually the ones that do are kind of nutty because <laughs> I, <laughs> I think they any real fan of the show can see i pull from a very small group yeah um even to say you know like you mentioned greg proops have greg proops on like He's very funny, and I've I've worked with him and done stand done stand up shows with him, but he doesn't necessarily do UCB style improv, right. and so just being funny isn't isn't good enough. Uh, yeah. I should say good enough. That sounds really snobby, but it's just like we are doing a specific style. You know, we are doing this certain way of doing it. So that's why I'm not just being snobby about only working with my friends. I'm, I'm we're doing this specific structure that we all know. We're not just all talking and trying to be funny. So, you know, and I right, think people right. who don't do improv don't necessarily get that. Oh, they're not just riffing. No, we're not riffing. We're, we're doing this. It's like doing the triangle offense in basketball. You got to work on it. You got to know it. You can't just move to the team and immediately know how to excel in it. Yeah. Years ago I had a kind of fractious group. I was, um, I was in LA and um, they had just opened the improv in Santa Monica at the time, which is of course no longer there. But um, I was asked by uh, Mark Lano to uh, put, can you put a group together for like Monday nights? I go, yeah, okay. And most of the improv guys I knew, I mean, were in San Francisco. The guys I knew in LA were all stand-ups who happened to do improv and you know what that's like. Um, and but I also knew like, you know, some improvisers and I put this sort of hybrid group together and it was sort of a disaster uh, in that within six months, all of the purebred improvisers had fled because it was, you know, rush for the punchline was <laughs> is the way stand up improvisers do could generally do it. It's who can get to the punchline first. Yeah. 
yeah, and, that's hard to build anything with, with that. Yeah, exactly. So it was a, an interesting uh, experience to uh, to realize the difference because um, I hadn't really come from a background where I had to worry about it, and all of a sudden, it's all all I had to work with were these guys. So it was kind of interesting, but. Right. It's the same thing you're saying where you've got a very specific style that you're you're going for. And even if you get somebody in there who's funny and they're quick and everything else, if they're not playing on the same frequency, uh, it can usually lead at least it to like a lot of stillness and quiet. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is the biggest challenge in keeping uh, improv for humans fresh for you? I mean, you guys, you've had a lot of shows. You've got 300 coming up. So what what keeps it fresh? it is it is exactly doing shows like the mopes like if i if i had to do the same format every week i think i'd go nutty but and 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 adding the bands that's become a once a month treat for us it's like you know it's not only collaborating with them it's enjoying it's enjoying their music so that's that's always exciting and uh, and then doing weird episodes like I don't know if you've heard any of my shows with uh, Armin Weitzman, but we'll do uh, one-offs that are usually like we did a parody of Whiplash or a Christmas Carol. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Parody. Yeah. Uh, just just playing with the the comedy tornado that is Armin. You know, <laughs> he's his own suggestion. <laughs> he's his own suggestion that's great yeah that's great. uh but yeah like do, improvising with him is completely different improvise with anybody um so yeah it is it is it is finding the challenges have you tried to do um <clears throat> straight i mean straight ahead improv for for television particularly long form type things because i mean we're all familiar with whose line but that's all short form and it's very easy to sort of gamify something but what about long form uh, moving into television. Yeah. I mean, that would be the answer to one of your earlier questions to me is what kept me going and what mm. my end game is like th- that is my end game. And I have pitched improper humans as a TV show a-, a few times and, uh, long form improv on TV is, is, a is a sad road. It's <laughs> a very sad development road. And I've been down it many times and it's pretty much the mission statement every place that does comedy that long-form improv is not going to work. We have done ASCAT twice on TV. We made a special that played on Comedy Central a few times. Mm-hmm. And then we had a special, another special that we made ourselves that was uh, on Bravo. Um, actually, the reverse. Bravo made the special, and the other mm-hmm. special we made ourselves and played on Comedy Central. Oh, okay. So we have been on, we have had it on twice, but it, they were both specials; they weren't series. Um, and we got a lot of really early on. We we almost had some going at NBC. So yeah, we've we've tried to parlay ASCAT and myself and Proper Humans into a show, but I've. I, I know what happens. They always, they always, they being executives always try to turn into a game show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some, something different something quick um, yeah. with lots of bells and whistles and it just completely changes it. Yeah. I had a, uh, I, this experience was years ago and I, uh, so I'm, I'm on that uh, sort of uh, ruined cars on the side of the improv to television highway. Uh, I was some some people who had a production deal at NBC. This again, this was God. When was this? Ninety one or something? 
they said, yeah, we want to do an improv show for NBC. So I got a bunch of people together and we tried to put something together and we had to do a, uh, presentation for Brandon Tartikoff, who some, a lot of people wouldn't know who he is now, but he was kind of like the top of NBC at the time. And so we're doing this show, this, this presentation in the studio and he was giving suggestions and laughing and just having a great time. And on his way out of the theater, he goes, yeah, we'll, we'll let you, we'll let you know, well, you know, how we can uh, kind of get, get back on this. And he leaned down as he's past me, he says, this is never going to work. <laughs> mm. And it was just like in conversation, it just became, well, there's no way to kind of, you know, you can capture this because we had to kind of, we had to kind of, uh, create this improv thing for him because there was no audience. So it's like, well, how are we going to show him improv without an audience? And he was the audience of one. So we had to sort of fake it and it just, it wasn't the same thing. And it just like, was oh, well back to the drawing board. Yeah. I mean, the knock on improv that I always hated, even back in my early days in Chicago was if, you, if, if you're not there, It'll never be funny telling someone about it the next day. People always say you have to be there. People would say, um, and I and I always felt like, well, why? If it was a really great scene that made sense, why would it not be as funny as telling someone about an, a Saturday Night Live scene the next day? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the real reason is most improv is pretty bad. <laughs> yes. But I think I think the good improv is as good as good sketch. And and podcasting has proven that. Like yeah. you didn't have to be there in the studio with us to <laughs> enjoy it. Right. It got right. it got recorded, and now you can enjoy it over and over again, or years later, or whatever. So that just that puts that whole stupid myth to rest. And hopefully, it also challenges people to do improv that is good enough to to record and repeat the next day. Because a lot of improv is just like. It's like you're watching people have a children's party on stage. It's, it's like you're supposed to be delighted just by the fact that they're making it up. And <laughs> and that, that kind of bad improv ruins it for the good improv, in my mind. Yeah, I, mean, I think the thing about improv for, for the audio medium, which is interesting, because there's a number of improv shows, right, that are out there. And it's amazing how many don't fall back on being able to use the power to edit things you know because just like sketch not every scene is going to hit they're not all going to mm-hmm. be gold so mm-hmm. why put something that isn't in the middle of a bunch of stuff that's working and just go well that was the flow of the show man we had to keep it in there so well n- no you didn't <laughs> you know i think there's there's a certain magic to to podcasting that um should be taken advantage of to make the best possible product as well yeah definitely even when we taped ASCAT we were it's easy to edit out a full scene what's even harder is to edit within a scene but we were doing even that yeah yeah I mean it takes it takes experience and it takes uh you know an eye for it and all that sort of thing but just like everything else it's practiced and I tell this to podcasters all the time, whether you're doing improv or any sort of podcast, it's like, well, why put anything out there that is not the very best that you can do, really? I mean, there's kind of no excuse for it unless you've got some sort of time crunch and you're saying, I'm going to I'm going to put out five shows a week and that's my goal. Well, okay, that could be the goal, but are are those all five shows going to be great? Probably not. Right. 
So you might as well craft them. Uh, what other stuff do, do you want to do uh, outside of uh, the improv realm? Or does everything you do sort of have that in there? Because I know that everything that I've done, there's a little bit of improv kind of in everything uh, because it's such a useful set of skills. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, improv for humans is, is pure improv. I, but like, I, you know, I'm always trying to, for instance, that I would love for the mopes to be a sitcom, like have it be something that is written. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I'm always pitching stuff like that. Yeah. Um, or I actually have a, a very written out and not improvised at all podcast. I'm not even sure if you'd call it a podcast, but we're going to release it pretty soon on it's a musical, really. I made it with with Brett Morris and this guy Bobby Matthews, who's a musician, and it's it's a sixty minute musical. So uh, we're we're not sure where, where we're going to release it yet, but that's another audio experience we're putting out there. I don't even know what to call it. It's not exact not exactly an album. It's it's not a podcast. Mm. I don't know what it is. Sounds ambitious. Yeah, yeah. It took years to make. Well, that's cool. And then from a writing standpoint, you talked about the book that uh, UCB has out. Is there is there more writing in your future in terms of either fiction or nonfiction or improv or just straight-ahead storytelling? Yeah, uh, I don't see any more. That book was one of the toughest things I've ever done, and not in a fun way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it, it was a slog, and it took us years to write. And uh, to write a nonfiction book that's a textbook, essentially, is is quite a responsibility. It's mm-hmm. not like fiction where you can just go wherever you want to. you, you <laughs> yeah. got to explain something and, and be precise and logical and make sense. And it's, it was very difficult. I don't want to ever do that again. <laughs> um. I'm proud of what it was. Don't get me wrong, right, but right. It, it was not. It wasn't fun like every other creative thing I do is. I've had some labors like that myself, so yeah, <laughs> I understand. But oh. uh, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of stuff I do, like like this mopes thing, it'll start out as a sketch or an improv, but then it'll be something where at some point it becomes: is this worth writing up? Is this worth developing more? So I'm, I'm always looking for that. Is there anything in particular you want people to take from their experience of listening to the to the mopes? And uh, for those of you who have who've not heard it yet, it uh, some of the the language is uh, it gets a little salty, <laughs> <laughs> to, to say the least. Sometimes literally in the Sea World one, literally, yeah. <laughs> but uh, are there certain things you hope people sort of take away from it or enjoy look for to enjoy particularly when they're listening? <laughs> I think as a comedy fan, I, I don't know what you think. I think it has the tone of like a, a broad city or if you're our age, the young ones, like mm-hmm. more of a more of a heightened kind of uh, sitcom almost on a sketch level. Yeah. Um, as an improviser, I think it's it's interesting to listen to a narrative form. I think they are a little more difficult to pull off and to uh, – listen to improvisers like these three uh go at it i I think they're just really impressive 
Um, but the message of the show itself is don't be a fucking mope. <laughs> Go out there and work and try your best to make something of yourselves. I like how in the first episode uh, they do callbacks to things they learned from their previous employments. Yes. Which which I thought was great because it really does help tie the thing together. Otherwise, you might just get the idea that you sort of recorded all these sort of separately and then sort of crunched them together. But there is this sense that these characters as sort of in varying degrees repulsive as they are, uh, they, they, they are learning and growing in, yeah. in some way. Yeah, especially I think you, you'll you'll hear that in the third episode in particular. That it starts to get some heart. Uh, but yeah, like the I think it's in the first episode when Jess's character is saying "Come here." She says it so quickly. Come she here, just goes "Mirror, mirror, mirror." <laughs> and I think I don't think she was doing that on purpose at first but then someone it was either eugene or john pointed it out and then that became a thing and she and she justified it and said yeah it just takes less time to instead of saying come here we'll save work time by saying mirror <laughs> i'll give us more time to work and that's just that shows great improv and that became something they kept calling back and even called it back to to uh, throughout the trilogy too Hey guys, come back here real quick. Yes. Um. So all three of you have ruined hey, relationships on hey, your Derek? first night. Yeah. Derek, can I just make a, a quick uh, quick thought for you? Uh-huh. I think we all would have come faster if you had just said mirror. 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 Yeah, like mirror, like a meerkat. No, like mirror. 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 Oh, so like a meerkat. Yeah. Mirror. I'm just saying, we all. It took us sure. a while. To Nobody get here. wants to think of a cat inside a restaurant. Okay. I, I, don't. I do. Is that one of the rules? Yes. it's no, Let's add the rules. Cool. That's it. Uh, Derek. Derek. Quick I pitch. Bread gloves. That's funny. Uh, and I, I just love that's that's the satisfying stuff of improv. Where you're like, you couldn't write that. You could. And yet, it's funny because it's also the satisfying part of narrative, right? I mean, it's the idea that you can have these callbacks, and, and your audience is going to be there with you because they were there when it when they first read it or first heard it, and now they're coming back. So it's interesting how both those forms lend itself to having those elements in there. Yeah, I think so. And I also think I've never pitched anything like this as like a TV show, but definitely what's interesting about a podcast, because people are more patient, I guess, a podcast, you're you're more willing to give a podcast an hour. You wouldn't give a, ha- a sitcom an hour. But uh, you'll you'll listen to the process of the comedy of hearing – Gabrus, John Gabrus, tell a real story about being a lifeguard, and you'll hear how that real nugget of of truth and comedy in what he's telling all of a sudden becomes becomes this fictional thing that becomes more absurd. And to me, that that uh, uh, the audience appreciates the absurdity more. If they hadn't heard the process, they might think the absurdity is too silly. But since they heard the root of the truth of the absurdity. They enjoy it more is is my hope and uh, belief. I think. Yeah, you know, there's a uh, there's another sort of um, phenomena to audio improv. I think uh, on in the podcast medium, which is interesting. And I've talked to a couple of guests, not about the improv part of it, but this element of this being such a personal medium, 
right? I mean, people have these earbuds in and they're sort of listening while they're running or doing whatever they're doing or they're in the car, but generally they're by themselves. And improv as a performance medium is generally more enjoyable when you've got a whole audience and everyone's shouting suggestions and they're all sort of sharing the moment. So it's interesting that it's so engaging and inviting to a solo listener listening listening to this form when a they can't even suggest anything because you know the thing has long since been recorded and laid down and released and yet you feel like you're in that moment like you said you're seeing you're hearing the comedy being built um so it's interesting how it sort of has crossed that divide of not having to be there live in the room kind of gets back to what you were saying earlier about well why can't it work you know yeah and that was one of the things the improvisers had to get over but they did like i remember the first shows people felt awkward not having an audience it was really weird um imagine doing stand-up with zero audience <laughs> i guess i guess guys do i guess that's what bill burr's podcast essentially is if you think about it yeah sure um but uh yeah it's, it's kind of scary and in, in improv you even the audience helps clue you into what the game is in our language of like what to follow. So performers in those early years of doing podcasts, I think were a little like it felt weird, but now it's natural. I think people don't think about it. It's like it's like a weird new comedy muscle. Yeah, interesting. That's I think that's kind of interesting, um, and it's interesting to sort of follow that thread where it might go uh, in the future as you know both your show and. And other shows that are out there sort of uh, latch onto that new dynamic of sort of maybe for better and for worse. Because if they're if they're the way there are YouTube stars who have never been on a stage and therefore they don't know really how to act with other people. uh, Yeah. Will there be improv podcasts? I've never been from an audience, so it makes it will make their improv unique and awesome or out of touch and weird. I don't yeah. Know. You know, it's like super ego, you know, they, um, I mean, they don't produce too many shows now, but, uh, they, they never really had performed live ever in front of an audience. You know, they had, they would create these improvised pieces and sketches and things like that. But in, in interviewing them, they had never really kind of done those pieces in front of an audience before. Uh, Interesting. And so they started when they started going out live as super ego, they were doing those in front of crowds for the first time. So it must have been quite jarring to find out where some of the laugh points were they hadn't anticipated. Definitely. That's very interesting. Um, Anything else you want to tell us about uh, the Mopes or Improv for Humans in terms of maybe what's coming up uh, on the horizon that they can look out for? Uh, yeah, like I said, the, it is a trilogy and, uh, the, the second one's just out. I think the third one might be my favorite, just like our last narrative. The last one was the best just cause I think we got better every time, but, uh, yeah, check it out and you don't have to, you don't have to listen to all three to, I hope people aren't saying, oh, I can't listen to three cause I didn't hear one or two it doesn't matter well with podcasting they can easily go back and get the first two. yes and because definitely since we've now been trained to both binge watch and listen uh i think you should promote that go back and listen yes binge um and 300 is coming up and and i'm i'm think i've gotten my first episode one cast which would be andy daly sean conroy and 
Chad Carter. So oh. that's how we'll celebrate 300. That's a great cast. That's going to be fun. Cool. Well, thanks for having me on. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. And uh, I look forward to uh, one of these days hooking up with you when I'm down in L.A. and just saying hi. Um, I don't know if you make it to the L.A. Podcast Festival, but I'll be down there this year. And uh, uh, if you're around, uh, uh, maybe I'll drop by the theater sometime. I know a lot of the guys that, uh, that work in there all the time. So love to meet you in person one of these days. Excellent. Well, let me know you're coming, Mark. All right, Matt. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Thanks to Matt Besser for taking the time out to talk to me. You can track down Improv for Humans all over the place. From its home over on Earwolf to iTunes, the Laughable app, Stitcher, and, well, you know, everywhere that fine soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded. It's time for a dip into the tweet sack. Hello, Tweety. And for the first time since this show started six years ago, we have an actual card that came in the actual mail. Not just a tweet or an email. Of course, I don't ever give out a mailing address, which is the main reason we never get anything. At least that's what I tell myself. But I got a request for a mailing address, and the next thing I know, I got this lovely thank you card that reads, quote, Dear Mark, thank you so much for the really nice reviews of my podcast, Modern Day Philosophers. You're a great writer, and your support means the world to me. All the best, Danny LaBelle, unquote. Well, that is so nice. Thank you, Danny, and best of luck over at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this summer. He's uh, doing that for the first time. And we wish him luck. I've been talking with past guest and friend of the Tash, Jordan Brady, director of a zillion TV commercials, and his trilogy of terror, I Am Comic, I Am Road Comic, and I Am Battle Comic. Now, we had Jordan on just a few months ago to talk about Battle Comic, but he's just about to have the public release of the film. I thought we should get him on again just because he's such a delight to talk to. So uh, that's going to be coming up soon. I got an email from Jeff Umbro, who helped to set up my interview with Bob Garfield about his genius dialogue soundcast a few episodes ago. Jeff wanted to let me know that he's kicked off a new hybrid soundcast network and production house called Podglomerate, and that they are uh, carrying a slate of six existing shows and a new soundcast called Plus Seven Intelligence that's steeped largely in video games and their effects on life. So check out all that audio wonderfulness at thepodglomerate.com. Speaking of new soundcasts, I also got an email from Jess Gwynavan, who's a PR person who wanted to clue me into eight new soundcasts headed towards your ears from the Forever Dog Podcast Network, including Fresh Batch with Michelle Collins, all about The Bachelorette, The Podcast for Laundry, hosted by Brett Davis, Regretsville with co-hosts Tracy Soren and Jesse Jolies, or Jollies, Relatively Healthy with sisters Dr. Ellen Stolar and Janie Stolar, who's a comedian. Political Intellectuals, a show with Jessa Crispin, Treks in the City, hosted by Alice Wetterland and Veronica Ostorio, Turner Masters Memory Hospital, a limited series written by Catherine Cohen and Stephen Marlowe, and the Undercover Podcast, written by Brett Boham. Those are all available uh, over at the, uh, the Forever Dog Podcast Network, so check those shows out. All right, that's about it for all the tweet sack uh, nonsense, except for our cavalcade of gratitude, which is where I thank as many folks as we can find who mention Succotash in their social media streams. Even if it was so much as a tweet, a retweet, a forward, a thumbs up, a like, a heart, or just about any other thing that smacks of you passing the Succotash in some way, shape, or form. Here we go. Doug Ferrari, Hunter Block. My cousin, Mark Dietrich, my goddaughter, Callan Durenberger, 
Davian Dent, Jason McNamara, Nora Vera, Let's Chat with Revel and Friends, Harry L. White II, Choo Choo Stew, Bob Cochran, Teresa Holcomb Gammon, who's uh, over there in England, used to be in the San Francisco comedy scene here, and even was in an improv group with me so many years ago, I can't actually remember. American Slacker, Cat Lady 1111, uh, F Yeah Bill, The Goat Cast, Allison Hatcher, The Naked Porch Podcast, BS Podcast Network, Proudly Resents, Crazy Town Podcast, Rooftop Comedy, Tim Runs His Mouth, Christine Blackburn, Nerds with Words, Illusionoid, Carrie Snow, Podcast Booster Bot, Ed Wallach, Ann Kelly, Ariana Estrada, Constant Struggle Podcast, Funny Mike, Zen of Wu Wei, Wu Wei, Zen of Wu Wei, Adam Barker, Greg Trout, Joe Messina, Heather R. Higgins, 9G Records, Dave in the Cave, Music Promotion Agent, John Dredge, Larry Bubbles Brown, James Michael Sama, The All Seeing Guys, Dr. Rob Jones, The Jackie and Lori Show, Sherry Leslie, and Dead Frog. <laughs> if I missed you this time around, apologies. Mention us again. We'll try to scoop it up for the next edition of the Tweet Sack. All right, let's grab hold of our second helping of Durst, shall we? Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the many tools that Donald J. Trump has at his disposal. Both houses of Congress, the support of rural America, friends in high places, his family, a supermodel, Twitter, Fox News, the Russian Federation, a signature scent, and executive orders along with executive determinations, memorandums, proclamations, suggestions, aspersions, insinuations, innuendos, and doodles. An executive order is a presidential shortcut to impose regulations or reinforce policy with the extra-added special attraction of bypassing Congress. And face it, any day without talking to Mitch McConnell has to be considered a good day. During the presidential campaign, Donald Trump ridiculed Barack Hussein Obama for an unhealthy dependence on executive orders, accusing the 44th president of being too lazy to negotiate. Because during elections, and only during elections, negotiate is not a dirty word. Knowing that, you'd think he'd be reluctant to utilize executive orders himself. And once again, you'd be wrong. As wrong as Siberian bike messengers. Like Chipotle mayonnaise in a can. Three-tailed monkeys. Glass condoms. Bacon-wrapped hot dogs at the opera. In his first 150 days, Donald Trump has issued 37 executive orders, putting him on pace for 92 a year, the most since Harry Truman. And that may be the last time you hear Trump mentioned in the same sentence as Truman. Ever. Executive orders run the range from enduring testaments, like the Emancipation Proclamation, to lasting markers of national shame, as in the Japanese internment order. But all are subject to the ping-pong effect, where one president enacts it and the next rescinds it, which means that no matter what damage the current president does, chances are the next president will overturn the most egregious of them, which is a lot. That is, assuming there is a next president. Fingers crossed. For Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, I'm Will Durst. Will Durst, heard regularly on this show, is also tweeting at Will Durst 
over on Twitter, so you can get them at 140 characters a time if you prefer. Thanks again to Matt Besser for joining us on this edition. That's going to be all she wrote for Epi 155. Join us next time for Succotash Clips, where we'll present comedy soundcast clips from all over the place. In the meantime, please remember to please pass the Succotash. Goodbye. You've been listening to Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, and on Ha Ha Ha, the laughable app. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at marc at SuccotashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number, 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at Hightail.com slash you slash Suckatash. Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Sainer. Our musical director is Scott Covey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye.